goodness of God. I will sing of the goodness of God. Is God just awesome or what? Amen. Amen. Ryan, open us up in prayer, would you please, buddy? Father, we thank you that you are good. Mm-hmm. You're beyond good. Yes. 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 And God, I pray that the message that you have for us today that we will apply to our lives. Yes. With our lives that we will point people to you. Yes. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ryan. We'll be in First Peter if you want to turn there. First Peter. Um, if if you uh, don't know where First Peter is, it is right before Second Peter. Okay, so. It'll be very easy to find it at that point. Be gonna be gonna go slow, Barry, for you. Okay, buddy, we'll get you there. All right. First Peter. First Peter chapter one is where we will be. <laughs> oh goodness. God is good. You know that uh, the apostle Peter, we remember him as as his failures and because of his failures and because of his brashness and because of his arrogance. But many, uh, many people believe that he is also known as a, a disciple of hope. Because through his experiences that he went through, his good and his bad and his struggles, he realized that, that God is a God of second and third and fourth chances. And he understood in his life, and he would preach this, that, that no matter what your past was, you can have a bright future in the Lord if you just accept his, his Savior. If you'll just accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, you can have a bright, bright future. You know, he understood what, what hope was. He knew what hope was. And hope is not... Uh, Hope is not something that maybe could or should or whatever. But I want to give you a definition of hope today that I think that, that would apply uh, to the message uh, as, we, as we look at what hope is. And I believe hope is that confident assurance that God will do what He promised to do. Okay, I want to get that, get that in your mind. It is a confident assurance that God would do what he promised that he would do. Even if a Christian is going through a trial or a temptation or a struggle, we still have this hope, and the Bible will call it a living hope. No matter what we're going through, we can have a confident assurance that God will do what he promised he will do. He is writing uh, to Christians in this first, uh, first letter. And he's writing to them. And in the first verse, you can see some of the, some of the places that he was going to send this letter. And, and, these, and these believers in that area were, were being persecuted. They were struggling. They were, had hard times. And, and, and the disciple of hope is, is sending them a, a message that, that, that God is still real and God is still in control no matter what is, what is happening there. 
that we can have, have hope in, in spite of struggles and hope in spite of difficulties. And that even though life is hard sometimes, that, that God is there and that God is working and that God can bless even though the, the time is hard and the time is struggling. God is there and God is working in you and through you even though life can be difficult. Let's begin in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh-huh, who according to His great mercy has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I wonder what that living hope is. That living hope for the Christian is eternal life. Now get that. It is eternal life. And just think about that for a minute. What a tremendous privilege it will be one day to live with God forever and forever and forever. Now just think about that. What a precious gift that He has given to us that we will be able to be with Him forever and forever. We will be able to walk the streets of gold and bump into Jesus, the one who died for us. The reason that we are there, we will be able to see Him face to face. And like Jim said today, we'll be able to speak to Peter and Paul and Moses and Abraham and all those kind of folks. There is not a greater gift or not a greater privilege ever, ever that's been given to mankind than to be able to have eternal life with God. Thank you. It doesn't get any better than that. Because you see, that eternal life lasts forever. Man, I, I hope you get that. That is that living hope that we have. We have that living hope that one day we'll have eternal life. We have, we have eternal life now. And then when we pass from here, we have eternal life forever. Man, I don't know about you, but if that just doesn't excite you, man, something is, something's going on there. And he says this hope is a living hope. He didn't just call it a hope. He calls it a living hope. It is alive and well in the lives of a believer. It is not a dead hope that says, well, maybe... Maybe I'll get to heaven. Maybe I'll have eternal life. No, 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 no. It is a living hope that says this hope that I have, this assurance that God has given to me that he will do what he's promised to do will change the way I live, will change the way I think, will change the way I act, will change the way I react. Because you see, you see, I know for a fact as a born again believer, I have a home in heaven where I will be able to see God face to face and brush shoulders with Jesus Christ. You see, that is a living hope. That is an assurance, a confident assurance that one day God will do what he's promised to do. Well, where does that come from? Where does that living hope come from? Knowing without a shadow of a doubt, we've got a home in heaven. Well, let's look at that verse 3. There's three places Right here, four places, I guess, that it tells us where this living hope, this confident assurance will come from. Verse 3, uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, well, let's stop right there, according to his great mercy. I, I, I found this little definition of mercy, <laughs> and, and it just kind of go, whoa, that's... 
That's simple. And being a simple guy that I am, this is the definition I want to give you of what mercy is. And think about it as we apply these verses. The definition of mercy here is kindness toward the helpless. Now think about that. Kindness towards the helpless. And what is, what's he talking about there, about God's mercy? Do you understand that without God being merciful to you and I, we have no hope for eternity? Because you see, the Bible says we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all rejected Him at one point in our life. We've all disobeyed Him. We've all failed Him. We've all sinned somewhere in our life. Every one of us in here, whether or not you want to admit it or not, we, every one of us has broken the Ten Commandments. There is none of us in here that deserves eternity with God. Do you get that? None of us do. But because God is merciful to us, because he did not extend judgment upon us the first time we sinned, but what he did instead of judgment, he sent his son to come on this whole earth to live and to die and to pay our debt so that we could live with him forever. We have no hope if we don't understand how merciful God is because none of us deserve eternal life with him. It says in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, it says this. But God, being rich in mercy, or having just a whole bunch of mercy, because of his great love for which he loved us, and when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together in Christ. That's mercy, is it not, Brian? I mean, that is mercy. He loved us so much that he extended his kindness to the helpless. The kindness to those while we were still dead in our sins. He extended that mercy to us. And as believers, we have accepted that mercy. And because of that, we have a living hope. We have an eternity. We have a confident assurance that God will do what he's promised to do. The second thing we see in that verse about where this living hope comes from, it says it has caused us to be born again. Unless a person accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, okay, he has no hope. Unless they have been born from the inside out, there is no hope. John 3, 3 says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You have to be born again. You know, the world will tell you all kind of stuff. I mean, I, I, you know, we, we've got a, a comedian that said, you know, there's thousands of ways to get to heaven. Yeah, he's, that's a joke. You see, there's thousands of ways to get to heaven is what he believes. And, he's a, and he says he is a professing Christian. There are millions of ways to get to heaven, the world tells you. That's the, the, the great uh, TV star will tell you that. There's all kind of ways to get to heaven. But John 14, 6 says what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. How do we get this living hope? We have to be born again. We accept the mercy that he's given to us, and we have to be born again. The third thing we see there real quickly, and that is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We serve a risen Savior. We serve a risen Savior, what the Bible says is seated, is seating at the right hand of the Father right now, even interceding for us. 
You see, there's no other, there's no other religion, there's no other group that can make that claim that they serve a risen Savior. Muhammad is dead, Confucius is dead, Buddha is dead, the Dalai Lama keeps dying and they bring another one in. And, and, and how do you worship that? You don't. You see, we have a living hope because we serve a risen Savior. First Thessalonians 4.14 says this. For we believe Jesus died and rose again. Yeah, we do. Resurrection from the dead. Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. We serve a risen Savior because you see one day, one day, and I, th- I think it'll be soon, one day there's going to be a shout from heaven. There's going to be the voice of the archangel, okay? There's going to be a trumpet that sounds, a trumpet of God that will sound. And in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we too, if we've been born again, if we pass from this old earth, we too will be resurrected. Just like Jesus was resurrected, we too will be resurrected from that grave when these old, this old dead bones will meet our spirit and Jesus in the air and we will live with him forever and forever. You see, where does this living hope come from? It comes from because God is merciful to us because we have accepted him as Lord and Savior and we serve a risen Savior. Well, what about this living hope that we have? What about this living hope? How can you describe this confident assurance that that God's going to do what he's going to do? Well, Peter goes on in the next verse, in verse 4, and he talks about... He talks about this, this, uh, this assurance, this inheritance, if you would. In verse 4, he says, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, which is undefiled, and will not fade away, and is reserved for you in heaven. I don't know about you, but you need to get a hold of that. That is an encouragement. That is a living hope. That is a promise that, that our eternal life, that living hope, will be imperishable. It does not age, would not deteriorate, would not waste away, will not rust away. It will be perfection. It is imperishable, our eternal life. It's also said it's undefiled. There will be no flaw or defect in our eternal life. There will be no sickness. There will be no disease. There will be no infection. There will be no yuck. There will be no pollution. There will be no dirt. It will be a time of perfection. Who does not want to live in some area like that, in perfection? He also says that it will not fade away. Your eternal life will not fade away. It will last forever. The splendor and the beauty of it will never diminish. Who would not want that? It is a picture of perfection. This living hope that we have, this eternity through Jesus Christ and his salvation. Who would not want that? And then he says, this inheritance, this eternal life, this living hope is reserved for you in heaven. It's reserved for you in heaven. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of cool. You know, you want to go someplace and you get on a phone and, and you make reservations at five-star hotels. Or if you're like me, maybe a one- or two-star hotel. I don't know, whatever you get. And you call and say, I'm going to be there on such and such a day. Will you hold a room for me? And they go, yeah, we'll get that for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they hold it for you until you get there. Okay? And that's cool. And, and God's Word says, and Peter is telling us here, that is your eternal life is just like that. Yet you have reserved your home in heaven. When you got saved, when you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, guess what? He reserved a place for you. 
And he's reserved that place and he's got your name on it. It's got your name on it and nobody else is going to live there. That is yours, okay? That's going to be yours and nobody gets it. And it's going to be waiting for you when you get done with this old world. It's going to be waiting for you. You remember that, that, that mansion that he, that he talks about? That's going to be waiting for you, reserved just for you. I don't know about you, but that ought to make you excited that, that one day when we pass from here, he's got a place waiting for you. You know, you, you just go, you know, read John 14, 1, you know, and, and 2. He's got, a, he's got a mansion that he's building for you, and it's reserved with your name. What an encouragement Peter is writing here. What a, what a hope that he's given to us. And, and, and how do we know? How do we know that that, that is all going to take place? How do we know that, that God, when, when it's all said and done, he'll, he doesn't go, um, uh, uh, psych, I didn't mean that. I'm just kidding at that point. How do you know that you won't come up short on that day of redemption? Well, let's look at verse 5. It'll tell you. He says, who are protected by the power of God through faith who protects your living hope, who protects your eternal salvation. It is protected by the power of God. That word protected means to shield or to guard or to watch over, to, to keep, if you would. It's a military term of strength and of might. John ten twenty nine says it this way, And my Father who has given them to me, that is believers, is greater than all. No man will snatch them out of my Father's hand. You have a, a confident assurance that God will do what he promises to do. And he will protect your inheritance. He will protect your eternity. He will protect your living hope by his power. And you notice there, and I got to thinking about this. That's kind of cool because he said, you know, he's got the angel Michael there who is a one big bad dude of an angel. Okay, I mean, he, he it. And he's got Gabriel sitting over there who, who can handle most anything that he needed to handle. He could have had a legion of angels that said, I am going to guard your salvation, your eternity. I'm going to guard them with those. But no, what does he do? He says, you know, I got this. I got this. I will protect your inheritance. I'll protect what, you, what I promised to you. And it's by my power, not anybody else's. So you can be secured, you can have an encouragement that, that no matter what happens to you in this life, if you have been born again, you have a reserved spot in heaven that's being protected by God Almighty. I don't know about you, but it don't get no better than that. You see, Peter's reminding these folks, he's reminding these folks of, of who they are, and he's reminding them what their future will be someday. Because you see, those folks in, chap in verse 1, they were under persecution. They were under trials. They were under tests. They were under stresses. And he says, you know, I want to give you some hope here. I want to give you some living hope, if you would. That this living hope that I'm talking about is your eternal salvation. It is your eternal home. It is your future one day in heaven. And I don't want you to forget that. And I want to remind you of that. And I want you to focus on that. And I, I just want you to get, get that wrapped up in your minds. That, that as an encouragement, this is some good stuff here. That God's protecting what he said he would protect. And then in the next verses, he goes on to say this. 
But there's going to be trials that come into your life. There's going to be difficulties, persecutions that come into your life. And he would say, don't let that get you down. Don't let that defeat you. You have a living hope within you. And when life throws stuff at you and it tries to stick, don't lose heart. Don't give up. Be encouraged that, that, that God has promised you something and he will carry out his promise, believer. Believer, he will promise to do and he will do what he has promised. Yeah. Verse 6. Then he says in verse 6, in this greatly rejoice. Do what? In this greatly rejoice. Even though for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. We talked two weeks ago, didn't we? It's not if, it's when. It's not if, it's when. You're either going to go into a trial, you're in a trial, or you just left one. Before the believer, you're in one of those three categories. If it's going to happen. It's not if, but it's when. Peter will write, he says, I know, I know you're under stress. He says, I know you're being tested out there. I know you're being persecuted out there. I know that you have lost family and friends because of your stance for me. I, I, know, I know, guys, that, that you have a sickness or you have disease that has come upon you that is going to test your faith. I know that, Peter will say. Peter will say, I know there's financial stresses out there that's going to come to you, that's going to test your faith. I know there's going to be times when, when, when loved ones will pass from this earth and loved ones will die. And he says, I understand that trial and I understand the stress of that. I get that. And he, and he says, I know how difficult this is, Peter will say. But then he says, What? He says, it's only for a little while. It's only for a little while. Compared to eternity, what you are going through is just for a little while. Because we have an eternal life in heaven. Don't be discouraged, he says. Don't give up, he says. What you're dealing with is only for a small block of time compared to eternity. Do you get that? Compared to eternity, what we deal with right now, he said there is no comparison. Romans 8, 18 says this. And this is Apostle Paul writing this. He says, I know the suffering is not worthy to be compared to what glory God is going to reveal to us. He said, I know the suffering. I know it's hard. But it will not compare to what the glory he has that he wants to give to us. I don't know about you, but that is a huge encouragement. Knowing that as we pass through this whole world, times are tough. But he's going to be with us. You know, sometimes God allows things to happen in our lives that are a little more difficult. Sometimes he ordains things that happen that are going to be a little more difficult in our lives you know an untested faith 
It is not a faith at all. Did you know that? An untested faith is no faith at all. You see, sometimes you and I have to be tested. We have to go through a trial in order to see if our faith is really genuine. Is it really real or not? And he tells us in verse 7. He says, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold. There's where the, the title of the message is. Which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The proof of your faith. He talked about a goldsmith, a guy that works with gold. And he says, in order for me to to take a lump of gold, I have to refine it. He says, I have to put it in the fire. He says, I'll heat that thing up to 1,900 degrees. And as I heat that that lump of, of gold... And it begins to melt and begins to purify. He says all the, the stuff that's not gold, it says rises to the top. And then he says the goldsmith, when, it, when that happens, then he will wipe off all the stuff that's not pure gold. And what is left is pure gold. And he knows it's pure gold because he says the goldsmith, when he looks into that, that purified gold, he can see the reflection of himself in that gold. So it is for the Christian. So it is for the Christian. You see, when we're going through the, the fiery furnace of a trial or, or, or a test and, and, and the fire is on us, that he is trying to determine, is your faith genuine? And what he's trying to do during our test and our trial, if you will let him, is he wants to mold us into somebody that looks like Jesus. He wants to take us from, from here and move us to a spiritual maturity that we would never get unless he has been able to remove the impurities of our life. And Peter said, that's, that's the way it's going to work. He's got to get that out of you so that, so that when people look at your life, they will see a reflection of Jesus. And not you. How did you how did you get through that that test? You know, through God's strength, God's faithful, no matter what. And we move and we love the Lord because of that. And then when that happens, the last part of that verse, and when that happens, when we allow him to work into our lives, when we trust him, when we don't waste the trial like we talked about two weeks ago, when we find out what he wants to do in our life. Guess what it says in the last part of verse 7? It says, that will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It will result in praise and glory and honor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's shaping us and he's molding us. So when people look at us, it's not a reflection of you and I. It's a reflection of Jesus And in verse 8, it says, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Peter's saying, even through your trials, you love him. 
You see, the trial is designed and the purpose is to drive you to Jesus. Did you know that? It is designed to drive you to Jesus. Through prayer, through praise, through reading, through whatever he wants to use. It's designed to drive you to Jesus. You know, I know you've heard the statement, and I've heard it before, that God will never give you more than you can handle. God will never give you more than you can handle. And I'm here to tell you that is not a true statement. That's not a true statement. Maybe sometimes it is that you can deal with little stuff, but it's not a true statement. Because you see, when when God gives you enough that you can handle it, guess what? You handle it. But when God gives you more than you can handle, when there is a a hopelessness, if you will, if there comes a time in your life when you can't deal with this, guess what? Guess who can? Your Jesus, your Lord and Savior. You see, he wants that. He wants you when you're tested and trialed and persecuted and suffering. What does he want you to do? He wants you to come to Jesus. And if you can handle it, you don't need Jesus. But if it's too much, you do need Jesus. When we don't know why, when we don't know the how, we run to the who. And that's Jesus. You see, that's where you find relief. That's where you find faithfulness. That's where you find your happiness. That's where you find your strength. When you run to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because He is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. When you don't know what to do, where do you go? You take it to the Lord. When trials come in your life and testing comes in your life, don't be surprised. <laughs> okay? Don't be surprised because God's Word says it's going to come. And that's what Peter is saying. It's going to come. But he says that testing will help you to understand is your faith genuine or not? Is your faith true or not? And we know that, that when things come into our lives, if we allow this, that it is for your good and for his glory, you begin to grow in the Lord. You begin to look a little bit more like Jesus. You begin to reflect his life. And I'm here to tell you, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Okay? When we allow that to happen. Peter will say, hey, remember, born again believer, remember this. You have an inheritance. You have a living hope. (laughs) You have eternity, no matter what's going on in your life. Focus on that because he says, you know, it's not going to perish. It's not going to be defiled. It's not going to rust away. That thing's reserved for you. And your eternity is protected by the power of God. Don't ever forget that. When struggles come in your life, don't ever forget that. Again, the same verse that I've already mentioned, Romans 8, 18. I consider the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared to what he has, the glory he has to reveal to us. See, to me, that's just an encouragement that we have this 
eternal home. We have some wonderful gifts that God wants to give us. And he gives some of, it, some of those gifts now. And he'll give some of those later. And when life seems to fall apart on us, do we fall apart with it? Or do we go, man, I got a living hope. Because you see, my living hope says that, that God will do exactly what he's promised to do. And his word tells me if I have accepted him as Lord and Savior, I got a home in heaven. I got a spot reserved just for me. And that is protected by the best bodyguard around. And that is the power of God. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. If you aren't a Christian, if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, absolutely none of this applies to you. You say you don't have a hope. You don't have a living hope. You have a dead hope. You can hope that you'll get there. You hope that you'll have an eternity. You hope that God, boy, I hope he, man, I hope he's, I hope he's nice to me when I reach the pearly gates. But you see, the Bible doesn't even say that, does it? He said, if, if you have never been born again, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, your hope is at zero. Your future is at zero. Unless you have been born again. Unless you have accepted His mercy. Unless, unless you have, have given your life to a resurrected Savior. You have no hope. And I say that in love, but I say also that's what the Bible says. You have no hope. Rhonda. So, if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would urge you to do it today. Okay? Do it today. If you have been born again and you are a believer and you're struggling with something in your life, I would urge you to run to Jesus. Run to the who that can help you. When you don't know why, you don't know how, run to Him. And just remember, you have a living hope of eternity through your salvation in Jesus Christ. As we bow our heads and close our eyes, I'm going to ask you to do business with our Lord today. I'm going to ask you to, to do what God has told you to do. I hope the message is an encouragement to you. I hope as we leave this, this building that you don't forget your living hope of eternity through Jesus Christ. As the piano plays, do business with our holy God.